Malachi chapter 2, verses 5 to 9. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. Hear the reading of the word. Amen. Let me pray as we seek to look at this theme of covenant faithfulness and covenant rebellion. Let me pray. Lord, Give me the courage to speak your word faithfully. May my words be your words for the people. And Lord, we do pray that as we look at your scriptures, you may continue to do your work of transforming us into the likeness of Jesus Christ, our great high priest who has called us to be a royal priesthood in him. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Fears and phobias. We all have them, don't we? Hands up if you have a fear. Half of you have fears. Well, I hope that all of you would have fears if you've been listening to the last few sermons on Malachi about fearing the Lord. We are all called to be people of fear. But over the last week, I looked up this question of what is the biggest fears and phobias of the people of Australia in 2023. And here's what one researcher found. The top 10 fears and phobias of Aussies are, first, snakes. Not surprising. Second, spiders. Jessica went to kids' church today, they heard top two fears. Three, heights. When I go onto a plane, I'm like, ooh, ooh, looking down at that. And also when I used to bodyboard, sometimes the swell would get up to six to eight feet and I would drop down into that wave and I used to almost have a heart attack on those days. I have fear of heights. Sharks, number four. Luckily we live in Scone. <laughs> Hackers and cyber criminals, new to the list. The dentist. Anyone fear the dentist? Hands up if you haven't, no, you don't have to put your hand up, but you haven't gone for 10 years because you're scared. But yeah, our teeth are slowly rotting. Um, bees and wasps. This was really interesting to me. Number eight, ghosts. Number nine, aeroplane travel. And number 10, clowns. Clowns. While these are fears of our culture for the Christian, the top of this list should not be snakes or spiders. Our biggest fear, as I've already alluded to, should be the fear of whom? The Lord, our Holy Lord. Our Lord of justice, of might, of strength, of power. Malachi has made clear that is who our God is. And as we will learn today, if we do not revere God and obey his royal word, if we do not obey God and his royal word, Peace and life will be swapped for chaos and judgment. 
And so the title of my talk today is Covenant Peace to Covenant Chaos. In other words, I want to look at this character called Levi, who represents the tribe of Levi, and that originally the covenant with Levi was one of peace and life. That priesthood brought about peace and life. But the priests in Malachi's day were bringing about the complete opposite, chaos and judgment. And so last week we learned that God established a covenant with Levi, a contract, an agreement that they would be his priests, that they would honour his name, that they would listen to God's instructions. There were 12 tribes of Israel and the tribe of Levi had a special agreement with God to do his work. The tribe of Levi pledged themselves to the, be the priests of God over the nation of Israel. But in verses 5 and 6, we dig, a bit, we dig a bit deeper in regards to this covenant. We see firstly the patterns of this covenant, what it looked like. Unlike the priests of Malachi's day, Levi firstly revered the name of the Lord, verse 5. He feared the name of the Lord. He showed God that he respected and saw that God's name was full of majesty. He stood in awe, and I'm referring to the people of tri the tribe of Levi. They stood in awe before God, even bordering on fear. Levi honoured his obligation. We also see here in verse 6 that Levi delivered true instruction. He was a reliable teacher who imparted the truth of the Torah, the law of God. And guided people in the right way, the way that leads to life. We also see here in verse 6 that Levi walked in peace and righteousness. In other words, he set God at the center of his life and enjoyed the harmony and righteousness, the justice that flows from that covenant loyalty to God. In verse 6, we also see that Levi turned many people from sin. He held people back from rebellion. And another translation says he converted them back to God. He was a minister of God who fiercely was driven by soul winning. He reminds me a bit about Spurgeon and in particular one of Spurgeon's comments, soul winning is the chief business of the Christian minister. It should be the main pursuit of every true believer. Soul winning Bringing people back to God. Making sure people are walking in the way that leads to life. That is the key, one of the key tasks of a faithful gospel minister. In other words, when you see the sheep begin to wander off into those dangerous places, the priest, the minister of the gospel, will at times even injure themselves in order to bring them back into the fold of God. We know what faithful priests look like. Malachi now shifts his attention to the priests of his own day. Look at verse 7. He is desperate for them to retrieve the original purposes of the covenant. And so we first see here in verse 7, the priests who have rejected the truth now should preserve knowledge. Preserve knowledge. They are to guard it. They are to keep it intact. This is the word of God. They are to exercise great care over preserving truth. 
they were stewards of the word. One scholar says, quote, As the life of a community depends upon the keeper of its water supply to guard that supply from loss or contamination, so the life of Israel depended upon its priests to preserve the written word of God. And so for many of them, what they would do is they would write and um, copy manuscripts. They would make sure that their library, which talked about all the beauty and wonders of God and the history of Israel, would be passed on to the next generation. Because if these things weren't recorded, if these things about God were not preserved, these things about God could potentially be lost in history. Praise be to God that he's kept his word and preserved it. But the priests of that day, ministers still to this day, are tasked, are commissioned with preservation of God's holy word to ensure that that word is proclaimed to the next generation. And also in verse 7 here, we see that the people of Israel should, quote, seek instruction from the priests. The word seek suggests the idea of seeking with a view of finding. The people should not seek in vain. If people seek instruction, they should find a reliable teacher. Now look at verses 5. If the priests preserve and both teach the law, it will bring about what? Can anyone see? What's the original purpose of the covenant? Life and peace. In other words, if the priests of Israel's day are faithful, it will enable the whole of the community of Israel, the society, to enjoy peace with God and the abundance of life that comes from his many blessings. The chief fruit of truth-telling And truth preservation is a life of peace, a life of health, prosperity, safety, protection. Peace flows down the river from truth. Peace comes from teaching and preserving the truth. Peace comes from faithfulness. The call of all faithful gospel workers, still to this day, is to teach and preserve the truth. But this truth-telling all begins with truth preservation. We're to work hard to safeguard the unchanging gospel of our Lord, once entrusted. Even though we have come a long way in preserving scripture... For example, you can look it up. We have moved from scrolls to digital files. And we have more access to manuscripts than ever before. Sitting in my rectory, I can look at thousands of manuscripts if I have the right licenses and things. We have so much access to the truth of God's word. But there's much fear in the Christian world right now. With the development of AI technology... New threats have emerged. Yuval Noah Harari, who wrote a book called Homo Sapiens, 
which is an atheistic work about human history, is promoting the idea that AI will be able to generate a new globally acceptable Bible. <laughs> Harari said, AI will soon be able to invent new concepts and beliefs that are more socially acceptable than the Bible. That old document, fairy tale, mythology. He says, AI can create new ideas. It can even write a new Bible in order to establish a unified and correct religion. He also says, throughout history, religions dreamt about having a book written by a superhuman intelligence, by a non-human entity. Here then is the risk. I suspect will emerge in future generations with the widespread, uncritical embrace of AI technology and the content that it could likely produce, the Church of Jesus Christ will become increasingly vulnerable to online deception. In the brand new world of AI and advancing technological social control, ministers will need to develop new strategies to preserve the truth. I do see things getting harder for Christians moving forward. As we move from a culture of Christendom to post-Christendom, and many people are saying is secularism will be replaced. But what with? Paganism. And we will be on the outs, likely. If the Bible is curated by hyper-secularised governmental agencies in the future, if the online world is controlled to dampen the outrage of what the scripture might teach, we will need to think about how we will outwit and outlast these new world powers. One of you actually said this to me this week, quote, I think there is wisdom in encouraging people to have a good old hard copy Bible. <laughs> Unquote. I think, uh, yeah, we just have to think critically about this technology. Because I'm, what I'm saying is, I'm not saying it could disrupt our freedom to access the Word of God. But in some contexts, particularly in countries where it's hyper-controlled, you might find that you can no longer access a Bible online. But rather one curated by an AI technology to make it more inclusive and edited version. And so basically what I'm saying is ministers are called to preserve and teach the truth. That is what a faithful minister ought to be like. And that faithful minister who does that, well, the community who is under that type of minister will enjoy great life and peace. That is what happens when people are under the word of God and are faithful to the word of God. It creates a community, not of chaos, but of peace. In verses 5 to 11, we learn that this covenant peace is, however, threatened by the priests of Malachi's day. This vision, this purpose that God has for his people to enjoy all his blessings is being reversed. And some of these curses and judgments have already come into effect. Look at verses 8 and 9 with me. There's a stark contrast between the priests of Levi and the priests of his own day. The priests in Malachi's day were accused and punished for their violation 
of the covenant. Look with me at verses 8. The priests, quote, turned from the way. Unquote. They turned, in other words, their backs on God. They left the paths of righteousness. They deviated from a certain course. Their failure in the ministry began with failure in their own lives. And this was directing the whole community of Israel off course. And so we continue to read this. The priests also, quote, caused many to stumble, unquote. By modifying, by misrepresenting, by showing partiality in regards to the law, the priests caused many to fall into sin, to stumble, to fall short of God's standards, maybe even fall away altogether. Instead of guiding them in righteousness, they led people into error. So the situation is dire. Do you feel it? Do you feel the heart of Malachi here as you read this text, as he shares with the people of Israel what God has spoken to him? It is a great burden. The priests were to be a reservoir of truth. But they had refashioned sorry, the message of God to suit their own whims and to maybe even fit in with the times. The priests had become, to use the words of Jeremiah, broken cisterns who could not retain the living water of truth. The word of God was literally being lost. These accusations against these priests begs me to ask the question, what is the state of things today? When people come to church these days, are they hearing the word of God thunder? Are they hearing the voice of God spoken towards them? Are they coming away feeling, wow, God is holy, God is big? Stephen Lawson offers this assessment of many pastors. Quotes. In their attempt to be contemporary and relevant, many pastors talk about the scriptures. But sadly, they rarely speak from them. Instead, they rush headlong to the next personal illustration. Humorous anecdote, sociological quote, or cultural relevance, or reference, sorry, rarely to return to the biblical text. He adds... To an alarming extent, the glory is departing from the pulpit. That which imparts the glory, which is the word, has been taken away from the centre of so much of our modern preaching and placed on the borders of it, the periphery. The word of God has been denied the throne and given a subordinate place. He would say the state of contemporary preaching is dire. Just like Malachi would say back then, 500 years before Christ came. I think that the state of contemporary preaching is dire. 
If you drove into a random town, do you think you would get a solid diet of Bible? There was a man who walked the paths of sin and selected it to attend a church at random. Overwhelmed by guilt and shame, desperate for hope and peace, he entered the church. To his surprise, he found nothing there. The preacher was shallow, functioning as some kind of pop psychologist. He made it seem like he was not a man of eternity, but rather a man of this own world. The overwhelmed man then left after the service and stumbled further into sin without any sense of hope. He came to the place where he was meant to be fed, but the supply was dry. There's no food to digest. The water of truth was not there. It had seeped through the cracks, for the preacher had turned from the way. So what does God say about these types of situations where the word of God is being forgotten, misrepresented, lost? Well, God has accused the priests of Israel, but now he's moving to another punishment. They've violated the covenant and here's the curses and judgments that are going to befall them. So look at me, verse 9. The priests are despised and humiliated. Having pursued popularity by modifying the word of God for some, the priests found themselves absolutely disgraced. Their unfaithfulness, in other words, led to them being socially shamed. Can I say that this has happened in our own context here in the Diocese of Newcastle? Constantly, ministers are being exposed for their lives of unfaithfulness and the, 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 and the situation then leads them to, as people wrestle with what they have done, it leads them to public shaming. Often in the media. Many flee this area to start a new life because of how much shame they've endured for their sinful actions. And it's a terrible thing, can I say that? We want ministers to be faithful, to follow God's word, to fear Him. To strive to live in alignment with his call upon our life. And so the priests are shamed, the end of verse 9, before all the people. I love Matthew Henry's comment on this verse. Looking at the social shame of a terrible minister of the gospel. Quote, there is not a more despicable animal upon the face of the earth than a profane, wicked, scandalous minister. And I reckon our society would agree with that today. There's nothing worse than a hypocrite. Someone who says that they will do something, but do the complete opposite. Don't we hate that? Do you hate that? I do. The common people recognised godliness when they saw it and were not slow to scorn the hypocrisy of compromising priests. 
The fruit of covenant chaos is public humiliation. The fruit of, in other words, not living in alignment with God's call upon a priest's life leads them to suffer great scorn. God despises and humiliates disloyal ministers. And this is true for the ex-Hillsong pastor, Carl Lentz. Have you heard of his story? Yeah, some of you? Carl Lentz. He, is, he was the minister of the pastor of Hillsong in New York City. The ex-Hillsong pastor admitted to cheating on his wife with their family nanny while the helm, at the helm of his ministry. Lentz became an unexpected rock star pastor and drew several people closer to Jesus through his ministry, such as Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber was baptised by a car. Ten years into his leadership, he shared an Instagram post in November 2020 to admit that his family was leaving the church after he had been unfaithful in his marriage to his wife, Laura. Lentz wrote that he failed to do an adequate job of protecting his own spirit, refilling his own soul, and reaching out to help when he desperately needed help. And so Carl suffered not only public scorn, but universal scorn for his failures. And people are still talking about it today, particularly since a documentary was just released on Hillsong. Can I say as well, some ministers will be unfaithful for their own their whole ministry careers and never suffer scorn from the public. I'd like to say if justice does not strike unfaithful ministers down in the present, it will in the future. Paul the Apostle says this in Galatians 6 verses 7 to 8, quote, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he also will reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Future consequences are shaped by present actions. And so ministers should be cautioned by the way in which they live. But remember this, you too are ministers. You are a royal priesthood. In Jesus Christ, the greater priest, in the order of Melchizedek. You are priests in him. If you believe in him, if you love him, if you have devoted your life to Jesus, there is still a standard upon your life. And your life, even if you're not up here preaching like I am, you still are called to live in a certain way. And you too can cause much shame to the name of Jesus, through your life of unfaithfulness. 
This standard applies to all of us. My bishops tell me this. That's why they have all these safe ministry regulations. Because it's not just me who is called to be faithful. We can all do damage to the kingdom of God. You reap what you sow. Well, today in Malachi, we have learned that covenant peace comes from faithful leaders. Leaders who teach and preserve the truth. And covenant chaos comes from leaders who turn away from that truth and pursue a life of unholiness. Sadly, in our world today, faithful leaders are not guaranteed. The The world groans for a true priest who will lead us into all life and peace rather than chaos and humiliation. We need a priest who fears and reveres God and who teaches the truth. And we praise God because Jesus is that messenger. As the Son of God made flesh, he taught with great authority because he was not simply another human teacher. He himself is the lawgiver. He is the word in the flesh. You could say he's the law embodied in a human person. His words were always true instruction, bringing life and peace to all who experienced his love, who experienced his teachings. But even though he is God, Jesus suffered the curse that we deserved. He was removed from the temple where he belonged as our great high priest and was degraded like the filth from our dirty sacrifices. He was led beyond the walls of the city to a site of humiliation and mockery where he was publicly crucified and became a curse in our place. But death could not hold him down. He rose from the dead and now stands in the eternal temple of heaven as our great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He teaches us through the work of the Holy Spirit and by his words spoken through faithful ministers, me and you. And through all this work of the Holy Spirit, as his word goes forth to the nations, he is shaping us all into royal priests, the priests who we are called to be in Christ, the messenger of the Lord has come. Jesus is our great high priest. He qualifies the disqualified to teach his word to families, to communities and to nations until he returns to bring about that universal peace that is the ultimate fruit of his faithful work in the world. Until that day, we must persevere in the truth. We must Preserve the truth. We must hide the truth deep into our hearts and pursue wholeheartedly a life of radical faithfulness to our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. May we pursue this life of faithfulness that results in peace. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord. We are sinners. We fall short of your standard as priests, as ministers of your gospel. But we thank you that Jesus, the great high priest, is shaping us 
into people who are faithful, who are preserving truth, who are teaching the ways of the kingdom. And we do pray that you continue to bless this work in our lives. Amen.